Hey, everybody. You are listening to the I Save That podcast. I'm Judy Thompson, the Director of Clinical Education at the Association for Vascular Access, and we're happy you are here today. Today's podcast is sponsored by Sonostick. And our focus of today's show is on divas, our difficult vascular access patients, and innovation in our practice of vascular access. What plagues many of us in vascular access is those patients that come in that are difficult vascular access that many of us call divas, which I have a funny story about that later. But nonetheless, we're going to talk about divas today. Well, first of all, let me bring in my partner in crime at Ava, Blake Hodgkiss. Welcome today, Blake. Hey, guys. How's it going? It's awesome. Thanks. We want to welcome today Gary Wakeford. He's the CEO of Sonostick. And as well, we have Dr. Greg Shears that is near and dear to all of us at Ava. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank, Thank you so Judy. much. Thank We're you, really Blake. excited to be here. We're excited to have you. So, um, Dr. Shears, just real quick, if you'd just do a quick intro on you, and, and then I'm going to pop right over to Gary. Sure. Thanks, Judy. I'm uh, uh, Greg Shears. I'm a, uh, a pediatric intensivist and anesthesiologist by training a longtime friend of uh, Ava uh, and um, uh, very interested in um, all aspects of vascular access, difficult access, optimizing patient care, product development, all of those things to make patient care better. So really glad to be here. Thanks. We love having you. And Gary, you're new to our podcast, new, a little bit new to Ava. I know you were at conference last year and that's where we got to meet each other. But please let our listeners know a little bit about you. Sure, sure. Well, again, um, you know, I'm the CEO for Sonostick, and we are an early stage med tech company. And as you'll learn quite a bit more from Greg as we get into this conversation, we really have a product that is specifically designed to help with those diva patients. I've spent my entire career in vascular access and working with early stage med tech companies. And uh, when I had the opportunity to get involved with Sonostick, was very, very excited about it. Um, and as I did my basic research, it became obvious to me that Ava was the best group for us to work with. So we're really, ex- truly excited to be here today. You are obviously a really good researcher. <laughs> <laughs> Blake, Blake, it's always fun to be hanging out with you as well. So yeah. let's get into this, divas. So real quick, my diva story. Is when I was working in the hospital, I walked into a patient's room and she was a little bit snippy. And because I was called because she was hard stick. And she walked in and she goes, Those nurses called me a diva. I am not a diva. So, I mean, what we talk about outside the halls of or the r- patient's rooms sometimes doesn't get translated the same way we think it does, but nonetheless. So, divas, difficult vascular access, they are getting more and more known in the hospitals. I think we have more divas than easies these days, it feels like. And Dr. Sears, talk to us a little bit about what you see out there and what kind of problems it's creating. You know, um, as you probably know, Judy, because we've uh, interacted a number of different times, difficult vascular access is a major problem. It has been a big problem for a long time, and it's a complicated one. Uh, It's complicated because it exists as a triad. There's the part that the patient brings. There's the part that occurs due to uh, what 
skills the clinician has, and there's the part that comes in due to what equipment you have available. Oftentimes, the clinician has no control over that. We, we try to do the best with what we have, right? And we, we bring our own personal baggage to every encounter, whether we're post-call and just you know dragging, so we may not be on our game or we're fresh and ready to go. There's this whole range. And then the patient, the patient often knows if they're difficult or not, which is one of the best predictors of difficulty. And then uh, there's their variability, superimposed level of hydration, their temperature, all of that. And that triad sort of comes together as difficult access. And it it's part, that triad is also part of why it's ho- too, so hard for us to define it because those three things are variables and they're dynamic. They're not static, typically. So um, what I'm seeing out there as I'm trying to answer the question more specifically is that difficult vascular access patients are increasing in number. And the reason for that is we don't do a good job managing them prospectively. And I speak often in my presentations about maybe some options and how to do better with that. You know, the near-infrared stuff, optimizing use of ultrasound, pre-access, all of that, those topics. But that's not uh, a very pervasive, uh, it hasn't caught on in the way it needs to. And we're still commonly doing stick, stick, stick until we get it, which is blowing more veins. And then other things contribute to that as well, such as we're doing a better job managing mortality and morbidity. Patients are living longer, hence we're seeing them more frequently. And as a consequence, we have worse veins to deal with each time. So all of that together creates this landscape of difficult vascular access. And so we need better strategies to deal with it. And that's part of why we're here today. Thanks so much. And Blake, I know you practice you you still get to get out and go play in the hospital <laughs> dog and you see divas all the time one of the problems with divas is sometimes it, it leads because of no other options is having to place a central line for these patients be it a pick be it a centrally inserted central line so how, what are you seeing out there well, I think it's funny how uh, Dr. Shears had pointed out the the kind of like that triad, right? You've got variables. And one of those things that I've taught other clinicians how to do over time is really controlling the variables. And I think that's where uh, vascular access teams in general um, really have a big stake in this. So they they have the skills and they have the some most of the technology out there. And then what you're left with is really how do I assess and place a line in a difficult IV access patient? So that's, I think it's a great way of looking at it. That triad is perfect. There are so many people out there. um, And like you guys had highlighted before, that number keeps growing, it seems. And I would agree with Dr. Shears that we keep practicing in that mentality from a generalist model where we're going to poke people multiple times uh, in order to get success. Um, we see that uh, clinically, even with vascular access teams, because, and I think even more so now in the post-pandemic phase, where you have a lot of workforce shortages and 
um, you have a lot of travelers, so they may have come to your institution where you practice on a vascular access team, and they might be in that mindset of like, oh, no, 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 no. We need to poke this patient at least twice before we call and we escalate the procedure to someone with more training. Uh, there's a lot of evidence out there, different scoring tools that are being used um, to identify difficult sticks and what to do when you encounter someone in that stratification. And many of those well public, you know, well studied things as escalating before you even attempt to poke. And this helps with vein press, you know, vessel health and preservation, these important factors that we consider as specialists. The importance of empowering vascular access teams to create the culture of best practice. You know, we, um, vascular access teams must feel the power, you know, they, they shouldn't feel subservient and that's you know we're in a transition time and i think this is improving but it's so important they're going to be the most knowledgeable and skilled people out there and they need to put their foot down and say this isn't right we have to think what is best for the patient and this is the more optimal way to do it we see what the care profile is we see what the patient's needs are Let's try to do this right. Let's get it right the first time and not have them be a human pincushion. I agreed. And I think one more that we could add to that, that matrix that you were just mentioning earlier, Greg, is the, the culture of the hospital and the leadership in the hospital that possibly has a really tiny budget, two FTEs for a hospital of 400, something of that nature. And I know of a hospital, I'm not going to mention their name, but their vascular access team is so strapped in my estimation that their team requires floor nurses to try twice before they'll come and help with an IV, which I think is just barbaric, honestly. But I'm trying to think of it on the other side. If they're getting 50 consults a day and there's one person on, they're strapped too. But so there's there's another aspect to throw into that diva equation. Well, you know, in the category of been there, done that with different program development issues, you know, you've got to document. So you in for anybody that finds themselves in that FTE lacking position, you need to document carefully and bring that to leadership of what the gaps are. And that goes with people that goes with equipment we'll be talking more about here uh, a device that really is a gap filler it really gives the clinician an edge and it's important that we document these things you can't be passive about this because it's data that drives change so you have to have a long-term perspective of okay i want to go here i can't get there right at the not the moment but this is the data that says it's justified to get more FTE, to bring in this new product, whatever it is. Agreed. In God, we trust all others bring data, I think is <laughs> what we need to go to. On that, guys, we're going to take a short break to hear from our sponsor today, Sonastic. This episode of the I Save That podcast is made possible by Sonastic. Sonastic's mission is to assist clinicians in perfecting the art of vascular access. Their flagship product, the Sonostick Guidewire Introducer, is designed to help clinicians get it right the first time. 
when it comes to difficult intravenous access or diva patients. Learn more about this innovation for vascular access at www.sonostick.com. Guys, let's get right back to our conversation. Gary, I want to bring you into the conversation. Earlier, Greg mentioned a device, and I know that's part of your company. And tell us a little bit about what device you're bringing that might help us as clinicians with Diva patients. Sure. Um, Sonostick is bringing, you know, what I love is just a very intuitive product. It is a guide wire introducer, and it is designed for those Diva patients where you've already categorized them as a Diva. You know from your clinical experience this is going to be a difficult stick. Um, our technology is is ideally designed to be used with portable ultrasound, which will give you the visualization. But what we bring to the table is our guide wire introducer and catheter over needle allows for a very elegant, simplistic procedure. It allows you to do it with with one hand, where is you know if you have your left hand with your portable probe, uh, giving you visualization. Your right hand is advancing the catheter and over needle into the vessel. As soon as you see you've entered that vessel, with the same hand, um, there's a little track wheel that you just can immediately advance, and that advances the guide wire into the vessel. And we all know that once you have a guide wire into the vessel, you're pretty much golden. You're going to be able to thread the catheter over. So we've just eliminated a couple of steps in What I love about this, if I were to hand our device to you as a clinician, I don't even have to say a word. You're going to look at it, and you're just intuitively going to advance that track wheel, and that's your aha moment. You you instantly get it. So we just give you a very easy, simplistic way to help you get that um, vascular access, uh, get it right the first time uh, is our end goal. How do you differentiate yourself from other similar peripheral devices? that have a integrated guide wire? The biggest difference between us and virtually everyone else out there is we provide and give you a a truly a one-handed technique. And what I mean by that is because of that integrated track wheel, as soon as you see the blood flashback where you visualize, you know, with your portable ultrasound that the needle has entered the vessel, with that same hand, without having to move anything, you just advance the track wheel and that advances the guide wire. Virtually with all of the other devices that are out there, you you need a third hand. You either need another person to advance that wire, or you need to set your ultrasound probe down to use your left hand to come over to advance the wire. Well, as soon as you put that probe down, you've lost visualization. You're hoping you can maintain your access with your hand that you have the needle and catheter in, while and while you move, you know, adjust and move your left hand or your other hand over to advance the wire, we've eliminated that step. We've just made it as soon as you see that you've entered the vessel with that same hand, you advance the track wheel, which immediately advances and introduces the wire into the vessel. With regard to the setup, you know, all of us are very, we are very minded about not contaminating our insertions. You know, so maintaining a sterile field, that's one theme that I think everybody in vascular access agrees to that that's so important. So that that is one thing that this device nails like super hard. Why is that? It has this 
um, tube that completely encases the wire. And so even if um, you're doing this under, let's say, an urgent emergent situation or whatever it is, and it touches your sleeve or other, it's completely encased so that you can deliver this wire. And we all know, let's say you do a standard um, Seldinger technique, that wire can be doing on the back end all its, all its things. It totally supports sterile insertion. We know the difference between devices that feel right, you know, they're easy to use, they're not complicated, that don't require a lot of time to figure out. So the device is very intuitive. You look at it, it's like, oh, this is cool. And then as you're using the device, you get an audio haptic and a little bit of buzz in your hand, almost like you have your Apple watch or whatever going off and your friend is texting you and you know it, you know, you have that, that, uh, that little rumble. Well, you feel that in your hand because we're very tactile vascular access people. If they're any good, they, there's a very much a tactile part of what we do. And so you, you feel the delivery of the wire and you, um, as you're advancing it, so altogether, I think clinicians that know the difference between good and bad will be like, whoa, this is really sweet. Let's face it, people are at various levels with regard to their skill set with ultrasound. And that's why both the high-end, very skilled users and the people in between that are still finding their way will find this device really useful because even if you, if you can just get yourself in the vessel and um, you know you see that tip of the needle in there, you can deliver that wire and make everything else easy. You don't have to be so sophisticated that you get the entire needle and catheter along the pathway. So it helps bridge that gap for folks and gets them that um, access that they want more easily. So we need to stop for one more break from our sponsor, Sonostick. The Sonostick Guidewire Introducer is the only vascular access device that provides the clinician with an elegant, intuitive, one-handed insertion, even for the most difficult of intravenous access or DIVA patients. The Sonostick device allows you to manage the guide wire, needle, and catheter with just one hand from start to finish, thus helping support sterile insertions. Its ergonomic design provides a balanced natural fit and feel. The integrated track wheel allows for easy and immediate advancement of the guide wire into the target vessel. This unique one-handed design is purpose-built to pair with modern portable ultrasound technology, making the entire procedure a more pleasant experience for clinicians and patients alike. Fewer, faster, and more successful IV sticks, Sonostick makes difficult much easier. Learn more about this innovation for vascular access at www.sonostick.com. And now let's get back to our conversation. We always need innovation within our practice and having another tool in our tool belt, so to speak, is always good to have because there's no two patients that are exactly alike. And like Blake and Greg mentioned, divas are, are becoming much more the common patient versus the exception. Having ultrasound, having near infrared, having a variety of devices, I think all of those play a factor in how we can do better with our patients. I, I would love to see where, Greg, I'm going to go back to you, where you see that this is going to really help practice. I, want, I have one in my mind, but I want to hear from you. 
Yeah, it's interesting, Judy. It's a great question because it's a platform technology. So you can apply this across multiple different places. First of all, in its current iteration, it's going to be incredibly helpful for difficult venous access, of course, uh, with delivery of catheters, wherever that may be, forearm, upper arm. Uh, but imagine this wire delivery device uh, being used for an arterial line. There's no reason that that couldn't be the case. Further, think of anything that you use a wire for that improves sterility and ease of delivery would be help with the device. Well, it could be for any kind of procedural thing you're putting in some catheter, uh, could be for a long wire like chest tube, could be for a central line, could be for a pick line. Why is this going to be useful? Because it reduces steps. The ideal situation where we have a device that makes it easier to do the right thing than the wrong thing is always a better practice. Gary? I agree completely with that statement. I love that you said, you know, we look for ways to make it easier to do the right thing than the wrong thing. That's what I love about this this device is it's just so intuitive. You know, we're looking for the clinicians to really share their feedback and tell us how and where they think this would be most uh, applicable. We do think that, you know, your Diva sticks for your, your PIV patients is a great place for us to start. And we think we can help a lot of people and bring a lot of value to the table. But we think there are probably a lot of other patient-specific situations where we would bring value, and we're looking forward to understanding that. We're initially entering the market with a 22-gauge, and that will be immediately followed by an 18 and a 20-gauge. The length we're looking at, we're actually, that's to be determined. Um, we're hearing one point. One and a half inch and two and a quarter inch is what I'm hearing from a lot of people. But we certainly, you know, that's one of those bits of information we would really like more input from the market and from the clinicians on ideally what length would they like to see. So I, yeah. I have an opinion here, but I want to bring Blake in before I <laughs> I taint his opinion a little bit, but which no, I no, can't no. do. I think I it's great. That. You know, when we're circling back to um, vessel health and preservation here. One of the critical factors that we talk about is catheter lie in vessels. So how much catheter is actually in there? And when we get to these longer catheters for peripheral IV insertion, you know, we're also trying to not transfix or back wall the vessel when we're inserting with ultrasound. Um, using an integrated wire like that is such a helpful tool. One, you know, to ensure that you have placement in the vessel. Two, helps to prevent the catheter from you know, going in some other direction, you know, if you have sure. someone with a lot of collateral vessels in place, you know, I, th I think it's very helpful from a vessel health and uh, preservation perspective. Reducing that vessel trauma is going to be so critical. And I think that what we're seeing now is a lot more longer peripheral IVs placed in patients in the forearm, those sorts of places in order to help improve uh, the outcomes for our patients. Peripheral IVs are under the microscope, I think, and and more so now. And I think that that trajectory is only going to continue to rise as we look at, you know, complication rates in peripheral IVs and their failures. You know, right what you're saying, Blake, about the importance of longer catheters. So it's really trying to find that sweet spot. Is it two and a quarter, two and a half inch for 
you know, a um, an ultrasound guided peripheral for the forearm or upper arm, or just and going with something even longer as a midline. You can imagine as a and it's something that helps improve the sterility for a trauma line. Even one more step into that is, and I love the one-handed process too, because um, when we're talking about maybe our uh, obese, you know, morbidly obese patients, maybe have a little bit of tissue, we're getting more deep access um, on those patients. As soon as, you know, you're using an ultrasound probe, what you're doing is you're applying pressure. And what we see on the ultrasound screen is that vessel coming up into view. And what we're really doing is we're compressing the tissue above that vessel. So as soon as you take your probe mm -hmm. off, that depth starts to drop. What you had was a needle in a vessel, hopefully a wire in there as well. Um, as soon as you increase that depth, so to speak, that, that length of distance and geometry, um, now we've lost the vessel yeah. and being able to do this all one handed one, you know, again, also with trauma to the vessel, um, being able to do it one handed, you can now see the needle under the vessel. You can make sure that the wires in the vessel, and then you can deploy the catheter into the vessel without having to move your ultrasound probe. You can see all of that in real time. And I think that's a wonderful, um, as you said, elegant way of putting it all together. <laughs> nice word. <laughs> Gary, I, I going back to lengths. If we're if you're believing that this is going to be a, a diva device, I I would think longer would be better. With ultrasound, there's good data out there that's saying that we need a longer catheter to actually make sure that we have enough purchase. That is what I tend to be hearing from more and more people. It's becoming apparent to me that as a general rule, longer is better. Um, and, you know, there, there's the, you know, I've heard comments like, you know, two thirds of the catheter should be in the vessel, not just in the tissue getting to the vessel so that it, you have a better likelihood of it staying in longer and being able to perform and do what you need it to do. So these are all things that, that we're really taking a hard look at because, you know, we really want to bring to the market what will be most helpful to you and your patients. I want to jump in and just uh, mention that, you know, nowadays, because we have really good quality ultrasound and uh, so really good resolution, there's no excuse not to watch that whole uh, process and, and, and get an image of your post-insertional position of the catheter. Getting back to what Blake is saying, I've been talking about this for probably 15 years now. <laughs> the importance of catheter lie. And when you model it out, you can do it on, you know, phantoms even. Um, if you have a, a vessel that is only one centimeter below the skin surface uh, and you want to secure your catheter appropriately without it being kinked, you have to have a minimum of a two-inch catheter in order to do that. You can't get away with standard catheters. So, that means if you want to have at least an inch purchase of the vessel lying in the direction of flow, you have to get up to like a two and a half inch uh, catheter. So that those are things we have to pay attention to. And getting that post-insertional um, view is critical to know what you're doing and understanding the relationship between what that catheter tip is doing and subsequent complications. Absolutely. And I think that's something that we really need to talk more about. I know you, like you said, you've been talking about it for years, but 
we, we have new people coming into our specialty. We have new nurses coming in all the time and they're going, wow, when I put it in, right. You know, I pulled it and I flushed it. It worked great. And now I came right back and it doesn't work anymore. Well, why might that be? Cause you're about two inches too short girl. <laughs> so, I think consensus from this group of clinicians is longer. I mean, but you talked about two different, the, the pediatric world doesn't want a three inch catheter always. So, you know, there's this, we've got a balancing act. You have two different markets and sometimes they, we have that Venn diagram. We have the adults, we have the pediatric neonates, and then we have the people that meet in between and I gosh. And then we have the subsets of morbidly obese where yep. we need a lot more catheter and we need bigger introducers often. Jump in there too, if I may, uh, about this issue of length and age. You know, as somebody that has to practice um, both in pediatric and adults, difficult access and all. And, um, you know, those of us that have a, 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 a long background in peds, we definitely one of the things that's frustrating because kids don't understand when they get stuck. And there's this whole emotional trauma, both to the clinician, but more importantly, to the patient that occurs in that process. And the mama. And the mama. Oh, yes. And definitely (laughs) the mama and the dad. Um, You want to minimize those, hence picking stable access that's going to last longer term and we care for it, you know, and so I usually suggest lichen like a central line. But I've noticed as I've placed these longer catheters, you know, one and three quarters to even two and a half inch in little people, they last a long time. If you do it right, we have the ability to scan the length of the vessel, watch its delivery as we're going along. And if you appropriately secure it and place it, it's pretty common now for me that I'll get these um, longer catheters to last 10 days, two weeks, no problem. And for the for the parents that are in the know, they're like, "Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you." They'll. It's always funny. They'll they'll see me randomly as I'm running around the hospital, and they'll come up and say, "Do you know that that thing lasted, you know, ten days?" <laughs> and it's so, you know, you guys all get this. It is so nice when you get that professional satisfaction. It's better than anything. So don't dismiss longer catheters in little people. You just have to, you know, look, put it above their skin scan the vessel, see if you can make it, uh, uh, allow it to uh, be placed there. Yep. Not go, go to an area of flexion with the tip. And that's, yeah, don't go to an area of flexion. Absolutely. Course. Well, guys, this has been so much fun. I can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast today. And I appreciate everything you're bringing to us, Gary. We always want a new tool in our toolbox. When do you anticipate this being available? Uh, we are looking at as early as April. Now we'll have the 22 gauge version and uh, we'll be looking for people to work with. That's so exciting. Well, folks, we'll have some information on how you can get a hold of Gary at Sonastic. And as always, Blake, thank you for being here. Dr. Shears, we always have fun chatting together. So I thank you so much. And Gary and Sonastic, thank you so much for being here and sponsoring this episode. Everybody have a great day out there. Drive safe. And we will see you in the next episode of the I Save That Podcast. Bye, everybody. You can see the entire AVA calendar on the AVA website at www.avainfo.org. 
which is also where you can join Ava or donate to the Ava Foundation. Don't miss Facebook Fridays, where we are live at noon Eastern time each week. Toss us a question or give us a like. We're on all the social media platforms. You can follow the Association for Vascular Access on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Pinterest. Make sure you're subscribed to the I Save That podcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Pandora, or Google Play Music. Now here comes the legal stuff. The topics discussed on the I Save That podcast are purely for informational purposes. You should personally seek the guidance of clinicians before making any decision that affects your health or the health of your patients. Listeners of this podcast are advised to do their own due diligence when it comes to making vascular access decisions. Our goal is to inform and entertain the healthcare landscape while giving you a starting point for your discussions with your own clinicians and professional advisors. By listening to this podcast, you agree that the hosts, our guests, our sponsors, and the Association for Vascular Access are not responsible for the success or failure of your health, your career, or any decision you make related to any information we've presented. The I Save That podcast contains segments of copyrighted music that was not specifically authorized to be used, but is protected by federal law and the fair use doctrine as cited in Section 107 of the U.S. Copyright Act. If you have any specific concerns about this broadcast or our position on fair use defense, please contact us at podcast at avainfo.org. No part of this broadcast shall be reproduced, transmitted, or sold in whole or in part or in any form without the prior written consent of the Association for Vascular Access.